All right, let's go to the book of Daniel, chapter 4, as we continue our journey through Daniel. Father, we thank you. Um, these words written 2,500 years ago, but they're for us. And Lord, as we read a testimony of a man who is powerful and prideful, that we are encouraged this morning that you can reach the hardest of hearts, the most prideful of, of people, because you're the one that is the most high God, and you're the one that sits on the throne. And Father, I pray that this morning that we would be teachable, ready to hear your word, opening our ears to hear from you, softening our hearts to receive from you. And I pray, Lord, that we would leave this place just encouraged and blessed, more in love with you than when we walked in. We give you this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we travel through the first three chapters of Daniel, we've seen some pretty interesting individuals. Of course, we're going to continue to look at the person of Daniel, a man committed to God and displays godly character. And we know that he also is, it is recognized in him that he has the spirit of God in him by not only Nebuchadnezzar, but another king that we will see in chapter 6 of Daniel. And of course, with Daniel was his three companions that were taken off into captivity with Daniel in 605 B.C. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. They were also dedicated to the Lord. And most people know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as last week we saw that they faced the burning fiery furnace and were delivered by God from that furnace out of the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's the other interesting individual that we have looked at, and that is the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar himself. And he would become the king, as most of you know, in 605 B.C., as he is pursuing the Egyptians, as he's defeating them, he's in the Sinai, he gets word that his father has died, and he needs to get back to Babylon to secure the throne. So on his way, he seized the city of Jerusalem. He would take some of the temple treasures out of the temple of God, Solomon's temple, and took them back to Babylon, along with the choice young men of Judah to be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government to serve Nebuchadnezzar, to be there to, as they were eunuchs. And as he did that, he's a very powerful king we have seen, absolute monarchy. When he would make a decree, that was law. As soon as the words would leave his mouth, uh, as he has absolute rule. He didn't have to run it by a group of people, a parliament, a senate, or anyone. And if he changed his mind a few minutes later, then that was law once again. And we have seen that with Nebuchadnezzar, particularly last chapter, in chapter 3, as he made that decree that everyone is to bow down to the image that he had made there in the plain of Dura. And if you don't, you're going to be tossed into the burning fiery furnace. Well, we know that those three young Hebrew men, that they said, no, we're not going to bow down to your image, and we're not going to serve your, 
your gods, Nebuchadnezzar. And he got mad and threw them in the burning, fiery furnace. And as they are delivered, as most of you know the story, if not all of you, the account given to us in Daniel chapter 3, that there was four. The fourth was the Son of God. I believe it was Jesus himself there in the fire with them. And it was Nebuchadnezzar that cried out, Come out, servants of the Most High God. And they came out. And then he made a decree that no one speak a word against the goddess Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now we know that as here is Nebuchadnezzar, he is very arrogant. He is mean-spirited. He is very vindictive. He's impatient. The whole world is subject to him. He has power that no other king has ever had in history. And as he is ruling over Babylon at this time, he is also impressed with Daniel. We have seen that. He promoted Daniel and his friends. He would say to Daniel in chapter 2, as Daniel would give the dream to him that troubled him and, and the interpretation of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar was so amazed that he fell prostrate before Daniel and said that, Daniel, your God is the God that is a revealer of secrets. And then in chapter 3, of course, as he made that decree, that your God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is a great fireman. He has delivered you from the burning, fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar, listen, up to this point here, chapter 4, he has had knowledge of the Most High God, but he has not yet personally made a commitment. He doesn't personally know the Most High God. There are people in our lives that are that way, aren't there? I think I can say that, that all of us, that we know people in our family or co-workers or perhaps those who live next to us, those who are our friends that, that we know and care about, that they have some knowledge of the Lord. Even at Resurrection Weekend, most people, they have some knowledge of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they haven't come to know him personally. They have not surrendered their life in submission to him and, and for him to sit on the throne of their lives. And as we read here in chapter 4, we're going to see how God deals with Nebuchadnezzar this very prideful, powerful, hot-tempered king. And we're going to see in this chapter that God breaks him and humbles him. In the morning services, and all three services have been fairly full this morning, that as I look around the sanctuary, I, I see the diversity that we come here to Calvary Chapel with, the diversity that is here with those who are young, those who are older, different ages, race, different backgrounds and experiences. And I know that the vast majority of us that are here are believers. And we are brought together into one body. That's what the Bible declares, that we are one body in Christ. We have one thing in common, that is we have a love for Jesus Christ. Paul would write to the church at Ephesus, that for he himself that is Christ is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And through Christ, we have access to the Father. All of us as believers that are here, you have a testimony. You might think that I don't have much of a testimony. You do have a testimony. How he saved you. How he made you new. What he means to you. We have a testimony, all of us, of the joy that we have of the Lord of the peace that is in our hearts, a peace that passes understanding, and a living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
And so Daniel chapter 4 is an interesting portion of scripture because what we have here is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony to the world. And I believe that we will see that he comes to know personally the Most High God. He writes this letter in the first person to the world. And I believe that, that we're going to see him in heaven. I wonder if I'll have an opportunity to talk with him, an interesting individual. But he will tell us how he personally encounters the living God. And as we read his testimony here, it's going to be encouraging to you and to me. And it's also going to be helpful to see how God can work in people's lives, even the most prideful, the hardest of people. You see, at this time, Daniel has been with Nebuchadnezzar for some 30 years. And I believe that Daniel has been witnessing to him for about 30 years. And I believe that Daniel has been praying for him. So chapter 4 of Daniel, we do read that Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. This event is at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the end of his life as he's writing this. And right away we see there's a, a change in his tune, isn't there? A change in his heart. He writes this letter, he writes to all people around the world. In this letter, he's going to give his testimony and how God broke him and how he was converted. And he writes here, it's interesting, that how great and mighty are his signs and wonders. Now, when we think of signs and wonders, we usually think fire that comes from heaven, right? The sea that's parted. You know, just mighty, powerful signs that the Lord demonstrated as you read the Old Testament. And I believe that God works today. He works miracles. He works signs. But it's interesting here that he says the signs and wonders that he worked for me, that he's going to break Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to humble him. That's what Nebuchadnezzar calls signs and wonders. And I want us to keep in mind this, that even though I know that God works miracles and it's amazing to see him heal, to work signs and wonders and what we consider signs and wonders, but I'll tell you the greatest wonder, the greatest sign is a heart that has come to him. A heart that is new. Somebody who's been born again by the Spirit of God. Somebody who's been humbled and, and has got a new life, a new beginning, a new heart. And you have that testimony. That's the greatest miracle of all, is salvation that comes to you and to me. And as we read this, he, he's saying that he, how great and mighty are his signs and wonders. Now, this is, as we read it, an official court governmental record of Babylon. Now, Verosus, an ancient historian about 250 B.C., wrote about and mentioned Nebuchadnezzar's insanity, his inactivity. In the British Museum in London, there's records of Nebuchadnezzar's inactivity for a number of years. And I understand that there's still many tablets, inscriptions from Babylon that are being translated. And a lot of that work is actually being done at the University of Pennsylvania. And I would not be surprised if they end up finding this chapter. And it is discovered. And as he says that his kingdom, God's kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom. 
It's no longer my kingdom will stand forever, as he made that statement years previously by setting up a golden image and commanding everyone to bow down to that image. Now he says his image. The signs and wonders which are good for me, the breaking process we will see. And to remind you and me once again that when the Lord humbles us and he takes us through that breaking process, keep in mind that that is a good work. Breaking us, humbling us, conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we read in verse 4, I noticed first person Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. And I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar, this powerful, prideful king, as he begins to give his testimony, I was at rest in my house, flourishing in my palace, but yet he was very troubled. The known world is subject to him. His kingdom is unconquerable. No one can get to him. No one can challenge him except the Lord. And as we have a Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps, that comes into our life. We might think of that person that they're so prideful. They think they're so powerful. No one can get to them. Chapter 4 is going to show us that God can. And here is this king that he's at rest until the Lord gives him this dream. And the person that, who seems to have rest in their house and is flourishing, that we know that if they are an unbeliever, that they will be troubled eventually. They are troubled in their hearts because they don't have Jesus. The most wonderful, greatest thing, never forget this. The greatest blessing that you and I have, you may not be wealthy, you may struggle financially, you may not have fame, you might think that nobody knows me, but the greatest blessing that any man or any woman can have is that personal relationship with Jesus. And as you have that personal relationship with him, you are known by him. He knows you. He created you. And he loves you. And you are wealthy. And he gives you true rest and peace. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, a survey that was taken, I, I heard it from Greg Laurie, that what is the one thing that people want? And the top of the list wasn't so much houses and homes and money and fame. It was, we want peace, we want joy, we, we want to be loved. And the Lord is the one that gives us that in the true sense. People who don't have Jesus will be troubled when they lie in their bed. Externally, practically, it seems like they're flourishing, but internally, they begin to wonder and they waver and they have struggles with questions that God has given us answers to. And anyone who does not have Jesus Christ, they may seem to appear wealthy and powerful and successful and everything is, is going great. They seem like they're at rest, but truly they are not. And they become troubled inside. Because the lie of the world and the lie of Satan is that you live for yourself and you live for the world and that's where true satisfaction and fulfillment comes. But God created us for his good pleasures. God created us to know him and have fellowship with him. And as we continue here in verse 6 of the chapter, Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, 
that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers come in, came in and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. So he brings in all the wise men of Babylon. This time, Nebuchadnezzar tells them the dream. Now you might recall that in chapter 2, he wanted to know from them what is the dream and the interpretation of the dream. So here he tells them the dream. They still couldn't come up with the interpretation. And it is interesting, as I mentioned to you already, that this has taken place historically when Nebuchadnezzar once again crushes an uprising with Egypt. We know that what had taken place, as you read the book of Jeremiah, after Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C., leveled the city, the third and final siege against Jerusalem, that there was the governor of that area of Israel that Babylon put in place, and he was killed. And, and this group of people that took Jeremiah, that they were hiding out, and they sought Jeremiah, what does the Lord say? Should we stay here, or should we flee to Egypt? And Jeremiah said, stay here in the land. You'll live peaceably if you do. But if you flee to Egypt, you're going to get killed, and that's what they ended up doing. And that is actually supported by archaeology, spoken of, of a fragmented tablet that they found in Egypt. So he has no one that is threatening him. He had nothing in the kingdom to be afraid of. No army, no other ruler, no other threat, and yet he has this dream, and this dream frightens him. And this dream, we will see, is a large tree that grows, and all the birds of the earth dwell in it, and it keeps growing and growing until you could see, you know, from the top of that tree, all points of the, the world. And then the tree gets cut down and leaves only a stump, and, and, from, and from that dream, it frightened him. So here he is. He's a man of habit. He calls for the wise man. I think that we're people of habit more than, than we know. For example, guys, do you realize that 99% of you shave on the same side first on your face every single morning or every time you shave? You know, that's just what you do. You think about that tomorrow when you're shaving. So but on the same side of your face all the days of your lives. And here he calls for the wise men. Here he calls for them, but are they going to be of any help? But Daniel came in before me, his name Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. So Daniel, of course, promoted in chapter 2. He's the chief administrator of the wise men. And notice that this king who isn't saved yet, he recognizes and acknowledges, Daniel, you have the spirit of God in you. And that really convicts me. That really speaks to my heart. And I know it does to you as well. Because I want people that I'm linked to, that I talk with, and I have an opportunity to minister to or have a conversation with. I pray that they notice something different in me. They may not know what it is, but the Spirit of God is flowing from me because the Spirit of God is in me. And I pray that they would see that of you as well, that they would know that it's different in the world, that you're not just cranky and testy and angry all the time, but there's something about you that is not of the world. 
And they may not know that it's the Spirit of God. Here Nebuchadnezzar says, you got the Spirit of God that's working in you. He, he would then tell Nebuchadnezzar, tell Daniel to dream here, because he's trusting Daniel. So the interpretation can be made. And let's read about that starting in verse 10. And these were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. And that tree grew and became strong. It reached the height to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. Verse 13. And I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. And let the beast get out from under it, and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beast, and on the grass of the earth. Verse 16, let his heart be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the heart of a beast. And let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whoever he wills and sets over it the lowest of men. Verse 18, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, declare his interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So what does it mean? I think that Nebuchadnezzar knows that it relates to him, and I think that Nebuchadnezzar is troubled because he knows that this probably isn't good news. And as we read this, verse 16, that his heart will be changed from that of a man, let him be given the heart of a beast. And then in verse 17, that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. That's the title of God, the most high, the most high God. And that is the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar will learn as we're going to read on. The most high God rules in the kingdom of men. And that is true today. He is on the throne and he is in control. Remember Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel would say to Nebuchadnezzar that the Most High, he's the one that removes kings and he raises up kings. And we need to remember that. That he is the one that sets those in authority as Romans chapter 13 says. And six times in this chapter, the Most High rules is mentioned, that title. The Most High uh, used in chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God. And then the first time that we read of the Most High is in Genesis chapter 14 concerning Melchizedek. He was priest of the Most High God. And then it's used, interesting, in Isaiah chapter 14 as we read that section. I'll read it to you in Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 13 through 15. It's speaking of the fall of Satan. It's speaking of how he falls, Lucifer, how you are falling from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, 
you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will, I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. The fall of Lucifer. He does not say in his heart, I will be like the Redeemer. Or I will bind up the brokenhearted. Or I want to be like the all-compassionate God or merciful God. He says in his heart, I want to exalt my throne above the Most High God. He is saying, I will take the Most High God off of his throne and I will sit upon it. And of course, you will be brought down to Sheol, the pit. Jesus said to his disciples that I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. We must listen. All come to the realization that Jesus Christ sits on the throne. And that he's at the right hand of the Father. And to be submitted to him in our hearts. But the struggle with man, the heart of a man... It ends up being the heart of a beast. Our nation was founded, I believe, on God-fearing men who believed in a sovereign God. They believed that God rules in the kingdom of men. Benjamin Franklin said, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, I doubt that a nation can rise up without his help. And what has happened? You know this to be true. What has happened today is so many people in our nation and our leaders are taking him off the throne. And they're saying, no, it's not one nation under God. We want to be one nation over God. We've taken them out of our nation. We've taken them out of our schools. We've taken them out of our courts out of our government. We tell our kids that God didn't create them, that they evolved, and that's why they're here. Our nation tells people it's okay, women, to abort their unborn children by the millions. And we don't need to acknowledge God anymore, and we see the results all around us, don't we? We see lawlessness that abounds. Immorality that just continues to get worse. We see death that is happening to our young people, depression and all of that, because we've taken him off the throne. And so many have a heart of a beast because he no longer sits on the throne of their hearts. And listen, I say this, not condemningly, but I'm going to say this very honestly. Because I care about you here at Calvary Chapel. Even Christians today have taken God off the throne. And they have said, I know what God's word says, but I'm going to live any way that I want to live. I'm going to go my own direction. I'm going to do my own thing. 
So what if I go out and party? So what if I take drugs? So what if I go out drinking with my friends? It's not a big deal to watch pornography. So what if I'm involved in immorality because everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to live with my boyfriend and my girlfriend because it's convenient. And I'll establish my throne over you, Lord. And if the Lord is speaking to any of us that are here, I pray that you would turn away from that sin. Because I talk to a whole lot of people during the week and on the radio that are hurting and devastated because they've continued in sin. And God will not bless sin. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, that his commandments are not burdensome. He loves you. He wants you to live a life that is free, a life that is good because his ways are right and he doesn't want you to get hurt and be deceived. And that's what the enemy does. He deceives you and to just live for yourself and do your own thing. And all of us, if we're not careful, we can go that direction. May he be on the throne, the throne of our hearts and our lives. And as we continue reading here in verse 19, Daniel's going to explain the second dream. Daniel, whose name Belteshazzar, was astonished. For a time and his thoughts troubled him, so the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Daniel, he hears the dream. He's astonished, verse 19. He's so troubled that he couldn't say anything for a while. Remember verse 9? Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel, you know you're a revealer of dreams and secrets, and those things don't trouble you. Here Daniel is troubled. He's so troubled, the King James says he's silent for an hour. And he's trying to, the king, encourage Daniel, hey, don't let the dream trouble you, tell me. The first dream, Daniel didn't hesitate to tell the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, even though it concerned the king. And here he does show concern. He's troubled by it. He knows that this is heavy. This is serious. Uh, I wouldn't want this for you. I wish it was for your enemies. But he must tell the king the dream, as we saw that, that the tree that is mighty, that's you, Nebuchadnezzar. Your mighty kingdom. And then verse 23. Inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times passes over him. 
And this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over, till you know the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives to whomever he chooses. In verse 26, Inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you've come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let your, my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. King, you're going to get chopped down. You're standing so proud, standing so high, all the world sees you, but God's going to cut you down, and you're going to be driven into the fields. You're going to become like a beast. Your hair's going to become matted like feathers on a bird. You're going to claw around eating grass. This is going to happen to you for seven years. This is bad news. Now, a couple points here as we consider this. Number one. Notice the tenderness and the honesty of Daniel. When we talk to somebody about salvation, when we talk to somebody about the Word of God, what the Word of God has to say for our lives, here Daniel was honest, but he was tender. Because I do think that Daniel cared for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel didn't say, all right, it's about time that the Lord dealt with you, Nebuchadnezzar. Just Man, I can't wait for this to happen. I'm going to take advantage of you. You are done. He doesn't do that. He cared for Nebuchadnezzar. He prayed for him. How would you like to have Nebuchadnezzar as a boss that threatens to chop you up into little pieces, throw you into a burning, fiery furnace if you don't do what he says? Some of you, you have some pretty tough bosses. Some of you have some people in your life that are very, very difficult and hard. But the question is, Lord, will you give me a tender heart towards them for the Nebuchadnezzars of the world that are in my life, that I may be a witness to them? You see, Ezra, when he saw the sinfulness of the people in the Old Testament, he too was astonished. We know that Jeremiah, as he gave the word of judgment that would come to the house of Judah, he wept over that message. Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, knowing that the crowds would cry out a short time from when he wept over Jerusalem, that we don't want you to rule over us. Crucify him. He was honest here. He told him the truth, but he did it with tenderness. So Nebuchadnezzar saw that in Daniel. Secondly, listen, this is important. When witnessing to unbelievers, when you're witnessing to believers, notice that Daniel gave the solution. Turn from your sin, from your pride. Perhaps there will be a lengthening of your prosperity. And when Christians are sinning, when people need to come to Christ, we need to tell them to repent. Don't encourage them to, well, just believe whatever you want to believe. Or just live any way that you want to live. Don't continue, encourage them to continue in their sin, but to repent and turn to the Lord. Turn to Him. 
And as we read in verse 28, that all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke, saying, It's not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling in my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you, uh, drive you from men in your dwelling, shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. In that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagles, feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. So while he spoke, judgment fell upon him. He became like an animal. And Daniel protected Nebuchadnezzar during this time. I don't think Daniel just put him out there to graze with the rest of the cows. I think he had a special place for him and protected him, came alongside of him, prayed for him. And then as we finish this morning, at the end of time, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of men. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand. Remember that. As we see the things going on around the world, as we see things going on in our own nation, as we face another election year, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. So it's no longer Daniel, your God. It's no longer Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God, that I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, the king of all kings. His kingdom will be established forever. And as we see, he looks up to heaven, praises the Lord, acknowledges him that he is in control. And he puts in place who he wants, and he humbles who he wants. The last words of Nebuchadnezzar. As you leave this place, pray for the Nebuchadnezzars of your life. Pray for those that are prideful and just don't want nothing to do with the Lord, haven't acknowledged him. You pray because, you see, the Lord can get to them, and he can work in their lives. And, Father, we thank you so much for this testimony that's given to us to encourage us and help us. Because I think that most of us, if not all of us, that we have people in our lives that we care about. And, but Lord, they, they don't want to submit to you. They may have some knowledge of you, but they haven't come to surrender their lives to you. And Lord, it can be hard to pray for people that just really are difficult, maybe hurtful, But, Lord, we want to have an eternal perspective. And we just pray for those. 
in our lives than Nebuchadnezzar's, that you would humble them, and Lord, that you would break them, and they would come to know you personally. The people in us would recognize the Spirit of God. They may not know what it is, but that it's different than the world. And Father, I do pray that we would understand that you're the one that sits on the throne and that you are in control. I also want to lift up anyone who's here. If you're here or you're listening online or on the radio later, that you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, surrendered, repented, quit going the direction you're going. You can't save yourself. Trying to be a good person, it's not going to earn you salvation. You can't earn it. It's a free gift. Jesus cried from that cross, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price. But you are to turn and to come in faith and believing that he died for your sins, that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. And he who believes in his heart, the Lord Jesus, confesses with their mouth that God raised him from the dead, shall be saved. He's alive, and he sits on the throne. And he desires to sit on the throne of your heart and your life as you humble yourself and call out on the name of Jesus for salvation and forgiveness. For him to be the Lord and Savior of your life because he is truly Lord of Lords and he is the Savior of the world. There is none other. He loves you. Will you come? Today is the day of salvation and you can pray right where you are sincerely that I recognize my need for you, Jesus. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me and you rose again and that you are alive. And I ask that you would sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior, the Most High God. And I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for this new heart. And I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Lord, for all of us as we leave this place, to stay close to you and trust in you, to find that rest and peace that the world looks for in so many things, but we know it's only found in you. Bless everyone here as we go our way now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?